Joel and I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land upon which we stand, the Wurundjeri people and the Kurnagana people respectively. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Cinemanks. My name is Manet and this is a film podcast that I do with this big, 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 big boy. Joel Anderson. I realise that calling you a big boy just makes makes sound like yeah, I'm calling you fat. fat. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I mean that your brain is full of big films. Like the, yeah. the films are big. Hey, Joel, how's it My going? My tummy is full of food. That's um, good. It's good. That's good. Um, I'm good. You're good. Are you good? Because we have a very best friend on again. He's back once again. The big Timmy T B Buckingham, Mister B. What's up, T? Yeah. Hello. I really miss this guy, so I'm happy to do a podcast with him. Yeah, he's back. It's nice. We're doing another Hello. episode with T. Uh, yeah, that's um, me, Thomas Brum Brum Buckingham. Vroom in a review Buckingham. of the car movie. That's what you said Yo. on the way out of the womb. You said Vroom Vroom, Mum, and then yeah. uh, and then we slung me the... in a Corvette and fucking sent me on my way. That's right. Yeah, that's uh, right. People don't know this, but Tom's actually that kid from um, Mad Max One that that dies. <laughs> that's Tom. Yeah, that's me. I played Sweet. that. Sweet. Yeah. I don't, I don't get that reference. <laughs> All I right. Good. A, um, I haven't seen that movie in ages. <laughs> Great start. So, what uh, what have you guys been uh, doing? Just hung up on these chuckers. Drinking tea. Drinking tea. That's cool. Sit, you could be drinking literally anything. Who fucking knows? You recording outside? Yeah. No, 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 But I've been sitting outside this morning because really That's nice. nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a sunny kind day feel, for the first time in a yeah, while. Yeah, it feels kind of like uh, summer. Summer I is imagine here. There's some, there's some bushfires off in the distance. Number one weather podcast. Oh, smell of things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Australia. Uh, Tom, what about you? You been up to anything interesting? Drinking tea? Good, good content? I did just hang up on the phone call that Ron you just did? now, which I was thought, pretty I funny. Thought, <laughs> I thought I might just not mention that so we could sort of get through it. Uh, and I just, uh, yeah, put you back in the no, pool seamlessly def- and then you <laughs> fucked it all up. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to reference. It's good content, man. No, it's fine. It's um, good content. I've just been working my butt off at work mostly and, uh, I've been Great playing lots stuff. of scythe. What are you going to spend all that money on? On a motorbike, hopefully. Yo. One day. Speaking of motorbikes, Mad Max oh, this movie has got motorbikes, motorbikes in it. You yeah. Know what? <laughs> Let me just get right into this here. Why Why? Why are cars, why are V8 cars the choice of a wasteland? Like, I love it, but also, you know, bikes are all cool right, and so fast. And don't use gas Essentially, it's much. based on, it's all a play within uh, the mind of George Miller. And if George Miller likes V8s, which well, he clearly does... Of Happy Feet 2 fame. <laughs> that's, yeah, of Happy Feet 2 fame. He, he, he's going to have the play involve a couple of V8s. I think it makes sense because it's like... It definitely makes sense because that's what is left over, first of all. Second of all, it's like there's this entire religion and culture that's built yeah. around cars. Yeah. Totally. So and the most like noisy great, engine great would be the most like you know expressive piece of religious... Uh, you know, as it is right, right. now yeah. uh, in the Trump yeah. era. Um, no, That's but right. the, the, what's actually kind of an interesting historical tidbit is that I watched this interview a while ago where um, George Miller was saying that he got the idea for Mad Max, like the original one, which is, you know, it's sort of like quasi apocalypse rather than like full blown yeah. dust and gore and everything. It's essentially not an apocalypse in the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He got the idea for it during the gas crisis, um, which happened in both America yes. and Australia yes. and a lot of other yeah. places. Um, and mm-hmm. what's interesting is that, like, that makes sense. He got to see how all these people reacted and, you know, them being generally a bit fucking crazy and, like, gas store owners guarding, guarding their oil pumps with 
rifles and stuff. But in the real world, when we had the gas crisis, um, V8 muscle cars kind of just stopped existing <laughs> for a good 20 years yeah. or so. I don't know, which is an interesting real, real world consequence to the inspiration for this movie that's so famous for having big broom brooms. Great. Yeah. So, uh, hold on. Let's just backpedal a little bit. <laughs> I feel like we started in fucking Act 3 Yeah, there. we did. Sorry, uh, welcome we did. Uh, welcome to the Mad Max episode. This is yeah, uh, great. Welcome. 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 welcome again. Welcome. Welcome. welcome to the Cinemanx podcast. Welcome to the Robert Dyer channel. <laughs> yeah. Mad Max Fury Road, 2015. Uh, brainchild of John, George Miller. Just fucking crazy. Um, Dr. George Miller. Dr. George right, Miller. We're going to yeah, by his... Is he a doctor? Yeah, dude. Yeah, he's a doctor. He's a doctor what? first. He was a medical doctor before he started making films. Oh, my yeah. God. That's insane. And the other that. part of the inspiration for this movie was he saw how fucked up people looked when they got in car crashes back in the day. No and kidding. That's he was so like, cool. oh, that's mm-hmm. nearly apocalyptic. Dude, that's great. So I, don't know about, I don't know about you two, but I, I'm sure Tom has gone through the same thing of watching... 700 videos and interviews with George Miller and absolutely falling in love with this guy. He seems like an awesome dude. He seems like the coolest fucking dude ever. He wears this leather jacket with brown the leather trim. Jacket. So, yeah, well, I, Matt was telling me about this I last watched, night. I watched a... He wears it to every interview he did yes. on the press run to, for this movie. Not only that, but they, they filmed this whole movie in Namibia, in the African desert, yeah. where it got insanely hot... And he just wore this leather jacket the whole fucking time. Every shot yeah. you see of him in the middle of this desert, and Joe, well, like in every interview too, he just wears this leather jacket. Honestly, it's a really cool leather jacket. I'd probably wear it a lot too yeah. if I looked like that. It's super cool, and it's totally. He's got this fucking amazing look where he's got the gray hair, but and I feel like this is just the grace of God. The front <laughs> part of his hair, there's this little area that is that is like still brown. And that, like, you know, swooshes back like some fucking comic book character. <laughs> yeah, are you looking cool at his Wikipedia uh, photo? No, I, oh, no okay. I just know this off by heart because wow. I love this guy so much. <laughs> well, he's got those cool and glasses. then he wears these amazing, like, sort of Chanel uh, round frame-esque yeah, yeah. glasses with, um, with, that are black with brown tinted uh, uh, lenses. Ah, which I never noticed jacket. they were brown tinted. And then he wears, and he normally wears some sort of like grey or beige, uh, uh, sort of like director pants. I would call them. He wears like he wears like <laughs> Nazi cargo pants. pants. <laughs> Nazi yeah. pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then um, just some cool leather boots. Yeah, I love that he's like just uh, just you could tell unabashedly that he's into like like the leather. Totally. Shit. Well, I imagine and, and some of you looked at something look at the, like this. Look at the films that he fucking made. Yeah, so. yeah totally. Yeah. Amazing wardrobe for dudes in the real world as well. Happy Feet and Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> both, you know, those are great s Yeah, man. man. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, someone was telling me about this at work the other day that they watched this interview with George Miller where uh, someone asked him if he would make Happy, three, Happy Feet 3 ever and he was like if someone put a gun to my head and told me i had to make happy feet three i would tell them to pull the trigger instead (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) um i love the um quote from him when he's like he talks about how he'll make a film based on new technology that is emerging in the film industry and he'll, he'll discover that new technology and say oh, I can make a film like this. And then when he discovered that uh, motion capture had happened because of Lord of the Rings and Gollum, he <laughs> he saw that and he's like, 
Dancing penguins. <laughs> <laughs> I love him so much. Yeah, he has Dr. he George. has one of the strangest um, filmographies like ever. So he, uh, I've got the list here in front of me. He did Mad Max, Mad Max Two, Twilight Zone, the movie, but he only oh. did like part four of the movie. Um, then Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which is the third one, The Witches of Eastwick, Lorenzo's Oil, Babe. He he produced uh, and wrote the first Babe movie, but he didn't direct it. Uh, and then he well, we love produced, wrote, and directed Babe Pig in the City. Yeah. And then he did Happy Feet Which 1, is the Happy be- Feet better, 2. Better B- Pig in the City. Yes, it is. It it's is. Yeah, because Babe 1 was just like, oh, there's a farmer and there's a, uh, the to- animals talk. And then Babe yeah. 2 was like, uh, it was like about classism and shit, right? Well, Babe like, 1's just Charlotte's <laughs> Web without Charlotte. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Man, I can't. I, I actually really enjoy those movies. Yeah, yeah me too. Is a, that is a whole genre of movies that's like talking farm animals, and I get them all mixed yeah. up. Babe, yeah. uh, Charlotte's Web, Racing Stripes. Is, do animals talk in Racing Stripes? Racing. That's the one about the zebra. Yes. The zebra. Oh, that, yeah. Yes. yeah, it's fucked up, man. Yeah. Uh, and then, the, I don't know, there's some other ones, but they're all just like the same cinematic universe, right? Farm animal talky farm animal talky. George see you, Orwell's see you. Animal Farm. George, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of that's right. Yeah, classic early two um, thousands talking animals flick that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, obviously he did Fury Road in twenty fifteen, and apparently he's doing another movie called Three Thousand Years of Longing, which is uh, to oh. be announced. Don't tell me about it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. All I know <laughs> is that he's doing it. He's writing, directing, producing. Um, he's going to be making a film when he's a hundred. And he's going to set yeah. it in the ocean. The dude is 75. And he's going to just swim around the entire <laughs> yeah. time. He's basically Australian versus Her- Werner Herzog, but yeah. he doesn't do docos. Yeah. Well, he does. But Mad Max, obviously, is a documentary. But uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. like, the thing about his movie, uh, his filmography, is that it actually totally makes sense, because if you look when his children were oh, born... Oh, that's nice. And when they became adults... His children? No, I said his children. Okay, when, sorry, so bad. essentially, he made kids movies during when he had when he was raising kids. Love that. So he's like, wow. this is what his mind. This is the way his mind was working at the time yeah. because oh, he was focused on raising these children. That's so cool. So those are the ideas that spawned, and it's like, yeah, that makes total fucking totally. sense. Like, yeah, yeah. No, you definitely <laughs> have to have Mad kids Max, around uh, or be doing lots of coke to come up with dancing penguins. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, yeah. So Fury Road. Um, Joel, you and I. In, in 2015, when this movie first came out, mm-hmm. um, I, your dad drove us down to the local cinema and then we went in, mm-hmm. he, he walked us inside and we went to buy the tickets and we were probably 14, 15 at the time and the ticket lady said they have to be uh, 16 to watch it. And so your dad begrudgingly was like, oh, fuck, well, I guess I'm going to go see this wild-ass movie with these two shits. And then we all came out of it like, oh, my God, that was fucking yeah. insane <laughs> i remember i remember walking out and saying to you or dad this is the best movie I've <laughs> yeah i remember seen. you saying that yeah, yeah and then and, and that's not true no I, well i will clarify what i meant that is the best theater experience mm, absolutely i have ever had by far and away I, did we watch it in 3d uh potent- no i don't think it would have been I, 3d at no, the time. It, i, I don't know it, like it was it. A, because it's so. Fucking... It was at the cinema. Definitely, there was already three D then. But yeah, no, um, no. But like, I don't know if um, they would have been screening this in three D. I can't. Yeah. No, I think they, I think they were. Oh damn! I think they I feel were. Like they would have. I'm not, so I, dumb. I, I don't think we did see it in three <laughs> yeah. D. The word yeah. that people always use to describe this film is operatic, and I feel like 
you know, that, like mm-hmm. when you think about all the movies that did really well from a 3D gimmick standpoint, you know, like Avatar, Interstellar, they're all very um, yeah, that's operatic true. as well. That's true. Yeah. And think about like the average Aussie guy's reaction to this movie, yeah. especially someone born the same time as my dad. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did your dad he, love he's it? He's got the context of, of like the first two and probably not the third one because no one cares about that one. Mm because it's shit um (laughs) but you would have just like had this like memory of uh of your teenagehood and these incredible movies coming out that were so like the antithesis of what it means to be masculine and then whatever how many years later was like 30 years or some shit later 30 years it was 85 to 15 you go see this movie with, like, really no context for what it's going to be uh, evolution-wise from the last films. Yeah. You're might probably expecting, like, Mel Gibson in a car again, just, you know, driving around. Yeah, like, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And then, <laughs> and then immediately you're, like, met with just the most epic, like, opening scene that you would, <laughs> like, just, 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 like immediately it's just like this movie is extremely twisted and and incredible from the very beginning it would have been like so mind-blowing yeah so i i am um tom did you have any any particular experience with with uh this movie the first time you saw it i no actually the the experience the prevailing experience i have with this film is um trying to get people at small gatherings or medium-sized gatherings to watch movies with me and yeah. then the only one that I could ever convince them to watch was this one. So I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. I, like when you guys first said, hey, Tom, do you want to do Mad Max Fury Road? I was like, fuck, I don't want to watch that movie again because oh. I've just seen it so many times. You're crazy. Dude, no, same though, same though, Tom. I was like, that was the best experience I've ever had in a movie theater. It, it It's a movie that is 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 like such an action movie that to experience it on my flat screen in the back room, I thought it might take away from it and it definitely did because of how epic it is to see in the theater but totally just a movie that you could just watch mm. you know at home any day any day like you could watch this like one day and then watch it the next day yeah and you'll still enjoy yeah. both for the totally few weeks. and if anyone yeah. is in a similar position to me i totally recommend that they watch the black and chrome edition which is like a special that came out in 2015 yeah so i watched the black and white version of it um for this podcast yes, and i dude. thought it it was um it was cool because obviously you know this film is so famous for its color grading in many ways mm. and the by removing that I'm not actually totally sure what I got I feel like I connected more in a well I think George Miller would be able to help you with that <laughs> yeah just ring up old George says, and let him know <laughs> he says that when he made I think number two or number one he uh he had the black and white version and he was watching it and he realised it sort of boiled down the story or all the elements in the film and it made it more, like, gritty and real. Yeah, that was and, my feeling. And... I feel like I totally yeah. understood the the human element a lot better this time mm-hmm. around and I also noticed a whole bunch of things that I missed on all of, of these many, many viewings of it. it. In a way, it actually makes it more detailed because yeah. the black and white uh, sort of separates things so you uh, e- it's they're easy to tell that they're there. And it also, I it's feel... It's not as much of a haze. Yeah, and it yeah. put me in a sort of like, uh, you know how when you immediately... You start watching an old flick in black and white and you're like, okay, mm-hmm. this isn't going to be explosions and gunfire. This is going to be paying attention to the nuances yeah. of human interaction. Um, even though yeah. Mad Max is still 
explosions and gunfire, it totally put me in a mood to be like, all right, how's like, I got really upset when um, the old, the many mothers were dying off Mm -hmm. in the uh, race towards the Citadel. And when Furiosa nearly died, um, like it was actually a lot more emotionally grabbing. I felt for some reason. Yeah. Um, So I, I I think really, I, sorry to, to cut you off. I really want to talk about this movie in like, I want to go through the narrative because I have so much to say about like specific chronological points in the movie. I feel like this is going to be our longest. Yeah, (laughs) I'm ready for it too. Because I have about I have about three pages from watching the movie, and then I have another four or five pages from just documentaries. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I have half a page from watching it, and then I let everything just absorb into the my mind. Okay, yeah. And I watch just just I watch that big, 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 big big brain. Big brain. Big, 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 big. Soak up that soup, that good, good literary soup. Um, so let's start at the fucking start. The opening of this movie, writing-wise, is really... Uh, it fucks with you. Because, like, first of all, we're opening in a situation where, like, okay, we've got we've got Max, like, we've got this set up for him, this, like, sort of edgy voiceover, and then he gets in his classic car, the Interceptor, and then he's driving away from the bad guys who are just there. We don't know why. We don't really care why. They're just there and it's awesome. And then Max just gets captured within, like, three minutes of on screen. He flips his classic car, destroys it, and then he gets captured. And then we're like, okay, so already a bit of expectation subversion. He gets captured. I love that. And then... It's, like, sort of feels like as if you're at the tail end of another story mm. that's happened in right. this universe. Right, 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 And I, I yeah. something that... I mean, just because everything relates to Star Wars in my brain, because I'm a fucking six-year-old, this has this same sort of feel of, first of all, it's like this dingy sort of... (laughs) 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 Um, It's sort of this, like, um, dingy, grimy, dystopian future, except obviously this is, like, different technologically than Star Wars, but, like, it feels very grungy grungy and lived in. Um, Grinchy. <laughs> it feels very Grinchy, very anti-Christmas. I, yeah, I don't feel like there's a lot of Christmas spirit going on here. To I, we could t- mm. uh, like there's a case to be made for why there's a Christmas movie, there's and Christmas I can't movie. make it. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we get that the first expectation is a version. Okay, Max fucking loses straight up, and then we he's captured. All of his hair is shaved off. He starts to escape. He starts climbing up that fucking wall. You think he's going to get out, and then there's bars. He doesn't escape, and he falls and getting phase again. And then he runs through the corridor it's... some more, and then he opens the door, and there's a big drop, and then he jumps onto this, like, hook thing. It looks like he's going to go pretty well, and then he just fucking doesn't. He gets captured again. And so, like... this And this corridor escape scene Oof. is sort of a mix between the tunnel scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory <laughs> when you get the trippy visuals, and Old Boy, where he's trying to escape the, the prison that he's in. I, and it's it's one of the best opening like sequences ever. Yeah. And at the end of it, first of all, like it, he gets these flashes, like flashbacks of like uh, dead uh, friends children, and family and shit. Dead friends, yeah, love that. And then a, an Aboriginal person to represent the what we've done to the land and what this universe represents as uh, in that way. Uh-huh. And then he he tries to leap onto the so he leaps onto the like that hook crane, thing. Yeah. And then and then when they capture him and they're pulling him back, some motherfucker comes with, like, mm. a bit of skin or, like, Ugh. slime or some shit, like this rubber bit, and just puts it over his face and, like, stretches it back to pull him in. <laughs> and it's the most, like, like, what the... Like, at that moment in the theatre, I remember being like, 
oh shit we're in for something like because what the fuck was that like Mm. what did i even just see and so um editing wise the reason that uh that hallway chase scene is like so like evocative like it gets you so stressed out is that they did a thing which is actually i think it was common in uh some like 80s movies which is what this this movie calls back to in a lot of senses um is they removed frames of from the uh like yeah i love that with the visuals they just remove frames to make it like make it feel like you're going fucking crazy like why is he moving like Mm -hmm. that but it's just such a cool like a cool editing technique um and it works so well in this um it's interesting that um when when i watched the first mad max especially i feel like this is a movie that is you know a the 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 brainchild of George Miller, but essentially all it is is an action movie done with the principles of a uh, of a Hitchcock movie. So yeah, I... so watching it, watching it, like he's he, George Miller's talked a, a lot about how uh, he he learned everything from magazines, like filmmaking wise, um, American cinematographer, I think, is the magazine, and how essentially in his mind the way you made films was just how Hitchcock made films so he he goes from this action movie that he's making with the sensibilities of a Hitchcock horror to this career of like sort of child films where he's learning like a ton about the filmmaking process and I imagine he's also like studying film the whole time and then he comes back however many years later and he's He's got this entire new bag of tricks and he's really come into his own as a filmmaker. Like, this is, like, it, it's very unique, whereas his other films I feel like I could be watching, or his other action films I feel like I could be watching just a film by uh, another director that has his name on it. This is just totally George Miller in, mm. in like, just all the tricks that he uses. It's just so brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I, I think something we probably all run into, but, um, one of my favorite facts just about this film is that it wasn't written. It's not a screenplay. It is storyboards. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is basically, it was basically written as a comic. Um, they apparently ended up making, uh, about three and a half thousand storyboards. So in the writer's room, Mm -hmm. there was just, um, it, this movie seems to have been conceived and worked on only by white Australian men, which is not great, but you know. Um, in all, all these, this footage of the writer's room, it's just all of these dudes sitting around a long ass table in the middle of the table. They have, um, these beautiful little models of the, like the war rig and some of the vehicles. I love those. I want one of those one day. Yeah, I know. So cool. Um, and all of the walls behind them are just completely covered with these tiny little, um, storyboards. And it seems to be just George Miller and his friends. Yeah, Mm, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, Anyone who's listening so to this cool. podcast, by the way, you can find all of these docos. They're on YouTube. They're really good. They're definitely yes. worth your time. Yeah. They're just immensely interesting. Yeah. Or buy the Blu-ray. Um, yeah, or buy the Blu-ray. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I, I you're a schmuck. need to buy the Blu-ray. Um, the, uh, yeah, Brandon McCarthy was one of the other storyboard artists. Um, same with Nico Lothoris. And they are both given writing credits because, you know, that's just how films work but they didn't fucking write the movie they drew the movie that's um, awesome yeah. and it's just like i'm a really really huge fan of comic book art so like all of these flashes yeah. of um single storyboards of just like shots of the film 
I like I just want to put them on my wall because I they love yeah. that art style so much and there's so much and it's awesome interesting like, in this movie. I I remember thinking what I get out of this movie is what I get out of all my favorite comic books. Like hmm. there's this established this sense of a, an established universe yeah. which is just so awesome and there's these like super gritty aspects to it. And at the same time, the storytelling is is super unique, which is all things that my favorite comic books do. Um, it's it's really like in the truest sense, uh, one of the best comic book movies in the sense that it is yeah, it's based on storyboards and it has all the sensibilities of my favorite comic books. So yeah, yeah. Um, and I I think one of the things that like like narratively. Um, all of these action scenes are basically the story, right? Like there's very little dialogue and the story is told through what people do and how they react to it and mm-hmm. not conversations that they have. Like um, George Miller, one of his quotes in a documentary is like most movies have the action parts and the talking parts and in this movie they are the same thing. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I love that from like a technical standpoint, that is awesome. There's so much really, really cool writing that is done in the action. So like the that yeah. one of the like basic premises of of um writing films that you learn is there's an action and there's a reaction right and that sounds really fucking simple but this movie executes it in like the the most fantastic small ways in all of these action scenes that's why they're so good because there is like it's not just like one there's there's not like an an obstacle and an enemy and they just keep banging their heads against an uh, uh, sorry, let me start that again. There's not just an obstacle and a hero and they keep banging their heads against each other until one of them wins. It's like there is constantly new set pieces and new things happening and there's a there's a problem, there's a solution, there's another problem, there's another solution, there's another problem, there's another solution. Like, there's just constantly yeah. different shit going. I mean, literally, when it, for George Miller, the first idea was to have a movie that is, like, entirely chasing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The fir- That was one of the first ideas he had. Uh, for what this movie would be, and the uh, the reaction and re- the action and reaction thing is is sort of painted perfectly in that the whole movie is going somewhere and then realizing that that somewhere isn't there anymore and then going back again. Yeah, and it's like because yeah, like on paper the synopsis of this movie is like Furiosa <laughs> drives back and one, forth. yeah Furiosa <laughs> drives the truck over here and then she meets some people and then they turn around and drive the truck back home like but you know it's amazing obviously a lot more than that and it's um, and all of this like this storytelling you're talking about the way the the fa- the reason that it works so well is because there's a clear defined logic behind this universe that is completely pictured in George Miller's head and he also works with he's worked with like it seems like every single person that's worked on this film also has another part of this universe inside their head as well like he's like created this this idea this universe and then he's gone to all these people and shared it with them so they could help him expand it and and that's why everything works in this film yeah. like because it's all a a it, there's no disjointedness whatsoever. It's all based on the same rules that George Miller has come up with, yeah, and, I, and the same story that he's come up. with. I think the like, because um, he wanted all of his. I know that he said to all of his um, like prop designers and everything that all of the um, all the props, all the cars, whatever in this movie are meant to um, 
they've got to be sort of grounded in reality and they've got to be recycled and there's got to be sort of stories behind their construction, mm-hmm. right? Like everything that is everything that you see in this, this movie is my dream is, job. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah, there was literally a, one of the title one of the job titles on um, one of the staff of this movie is just like recycling expert, right? It's just like a dude who <laughs> yeah. tracks down scrap metal. He brings it to the Namibian desert where they're filming and the prop team get to stare at these buckets and go, fuck, let's make like a guitar out of like car parts and flamethrowers and shit. Like there's... Um, when uh, when did you realise this wasn't filmed in Australia? Because <laughs> only until I did this yes, research I, did I realise I was the that. same. I, I had no fucking idea. Yeah, and some of it, um, there are parts that are filmed in Australia, but um, most of oh. them are sort of, uh, like... Where's the green screen stuff done? Uh, Is that in the US? No, so, um, what do you mean the green screen stuff? Because do you mean I, that bit with the I'm, truck? There, there's a... There's a there's a little bit of green screen. Yeah. Stuff so the some of the um, that most of the chase scenes in like the open desert, that stuff is all completely practical. Yeah. There is no green screens there. Yeah. There there is a little bit of CGI to fill in some like backgrounds and like um, like the flamethrower th- flamethrower stuff. That's mostly CGI. Um, but the whole desert that you see there, that's not CGI. There is a couple of scenes like when the when Nux flips the truck at the end, I said we were going to talk about this narrative chronologically, but fuck it. Um, no, when Nux impossible. flips the truck at the end, and then the uh, doof wagon, which is the name of that truck, yes. is great. Mm. Um, and then the doof wagon slams into it. That was uh, in New South Wales on a. Uh, it oh, wasn't wow. even a soundstage. It was it was outside, um, but they did that partially with green screen. It was a legitimately real truck flip, though. Like that. that yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. Uh, th- hold on, let me. When I say the green screen bits, I'm not saying oh this. I, I mean, I understand how the entire film yeah. was filmed. Yeah. Um, anyway, I hold on. I I have a a good story about the truck flip. So, um, it was done by a uh, a oh, fuck. I don't have the stuntman's name, but he's he's great. He is just like insane. He worked on the 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 first two films. Right, right, right. Uh, um, it's filmed in he New South Wales, in uh, and so in the in the truck that is actually flipped, there was the stunt driver, and then the uh, Nux. There was like a dummy of Nux, so that I guess they just had mm-hmm. the character in there. Um, and Bro. when in the onset footage in this documentary, um, you can see when the truck flips, you can see Nux dummy, the Nux dummy's head kind of slip out of the sunroof, and it's this white bald head, right? And the stunt driver is wearing a white uh, helmet. And um, mm-hmm. George Miller thinks that the head that's coming that flips out of the sunroof smacks into the concrete as this huge thousand ton tr- truck flips. He thinks that that is the stunt driver's head, and he's like, "Oh fuck, I just killed my stunt mm-hmm. driver in this truck flip." But no, it was actually just the dummy flipping, uh, slipping out of its seat, and it shaved off the top of the dummy's head. <laughs> so if it had been the stunt There's driver, this... he would have been probably a bit fucked up. But it was just yeah. yeah. And they got that stunt first try, I believe, as well, which is insane. Like. Would have cost them a lot if they didn't get it, but apparently it was perfect. They did it perfectly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the doof wagon smashing uh, when into When I watched it that afterwards. clip, there's, yeah, there's this sense, like, I get <laughs> when they cut to the uh, video village where they're viewing it on the monitors, um, there's this sense when it happens and... Uh, I shouldn't say it happens because nothing actually happened. It went perfectly well yeah. and it was all safe. But when they think it happens... And everything kind of just goes silent, and then George Miller just says, 
did he like, yeah. land on yeah, his head? Yeah, like, he was like, did he And it's the most terror, like, it's more terrifying than anything that happens in the film. It was really confronting yeah, no to watch because because I was a little bit inebriated when I watched that that particular thing, and I was like, holy shit, did they just kill someone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then the doof wagon smashing into the truck afterwards, which this again, this is all real. They took the truck that they'd been filming yeah. with for the whole movie, and they're like, all right, let's just fucking destroy it. They did have three. Yes, um, I love it. They had three of the war rigs they built three of them which is crazy but yeah they just they just smashed not only the... that this is thousands of hours of yeah. these incredible engineers yeah, work it's fucked up and cool. from the beginning i imagine that they know i'm building this so george yeah, miller can, can destroy blow it, it up yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and the doof wagon and i'm totally okay with the that. doof wagon i think is one of the funniest destructions so they i love they that film shot it, so much they film it from in yeah the shot is incredible they film it from sort of in front at ground level and you just see the doof wagon in the movie it looks i think it looks kind of cgi'd in the movie it looks kind of like stylized as the doof wagon smashes into the back of the truck and all of the speakers like fly at the camera but they legitimately did that they just unscrewed all of the speakers and, and parts on the doof wagon and then they just smashed mm. it right into the truck and had all the pieces that might flying be, forwards uh... One of the, he uses a lot of film tricks in this and I totally didn't see it the first time I watched it, any of them really. Especially uh, the first time I watched this, I all those dummies that are just completely real, yeah. like when whenever they would, whenever that something would crash and the dummy would fly off, they look so fucking real. I know, and I remember great. watching it in, in, this, in the cinema and being like, is that a fucking real person? <laughs> yeah, it's not just real people dying. <laughs> yeah, I spent like a lot of my but, viewing but, this no, time but... thinking, how the fuck do you like roll off of a truck that's going that fast without yeah. dying? Yeah. Mm. No, but there's just yeah. like legitimate. So but the... The, I th- the stunts, I think, are one of the most interesting parts of this movie because there was yeah. guys who were like, yeah, I will lay in this truck as it fucking flips and rolls over. And like all of the motorcyclists, all of the um, mm. the rock riders, I think they're called, they are legitimately just um, like the, the X Games mode. Yeah, they're, they're just Australian freestyle motocross riders. Yeah. Like they're not they're, they're not demons. film guys. <laughs> the, the producers just went around to like Australia's best motocross guys and they were like, oi, you want to like do your whatever trick you're most comfortable doing, come and do this on set in this insane costume and we'll give you fucking whatever, $100,000 or whatever. But like those are, yeah. yeah, those aren't actors or whatever. They're just like motocross riders who do these wild ass tricks. And I, I'm pretty sure the producers yeah. gave them the freedom. I think the, the quote from the documentary was that um, they had them do the, the whatever trick they're most comfortable with or whatever. So like what a good gig for those motocross riders. They're totally. like, oh yeah, just mm-hmm. come and do like whatever trick everyone, you enjoy. Everyone involved in this film, I feel like, other than, I mean, obviously... They filmed in Namibia, so uh, I'm, hopefully I'm saying that right. Namibia? Namibia, yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, and obviously it was a very difficult slog. Every movie is pretty difficult to make, It's, uh, but this seemed like particularly harsh in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I would give, like, anything to work on this. Yeah. To go back in time and work on this film. Because yeah, it's the coolest shit that has ever come from, like, an Australian person. I think that... It's th- just amazing. There was some... It, yeah, it is really cool, because there's, there's also a ton... Like, most of the cast is Australian for this movie. Most of the crew yep. as well. Um, which is... And the slang that they have, like, yeah. created for this film is sort of oh, based love that. on Australian yeah, slang. Totally. And also, they have... So they cast it out of America, Australia, and Britain. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And for the Americans and Australians, they do the Australian accent really well, obviously, because uh, Australians speak in Australian accents. And, yeah, yeah, nice. Thanks but for that. But for, for the British people, and I, this is in a lot of films, this is in Mad Max 1 too, like, as, as well, not 2, uh, when the British people talk and they try to do the Australian accent, it's not an Australian accent. Yes. It's just their British accent. Yeah, some of the... <laughs> and I love that. Some of, the Australia, some of the accents are a little bit messed up. Like, um, Slit, yeah. Slit, I think is his name, is, um, he's the Lancer for Nux. He's the, the war boy who's on the back of Nux's car. And he is actually an Australian guy because he does a lot of interviews in the documentary. But in the movie, he has, like, this weird American accent. So, yeah. I, which I think, like... It's not really an issue because there's so many things in this movie that you go like, oh, that's like kind of weird and unnatural and quirky, whatever. It just sort of adds to the feel of the film as a whole. But and it doesn't, it doesn't really like. Can you name one of those things? One of the think the like weird quirky things. Weird and unnatural. Um, yeah. My God, like, uh, um, I mean, all of the cars. I'm not sure what you mean. All of the cars, just like, oh, just okay, like okay, the, okay. the weirdness and and yeah. the shit that yeah. like the outlandishness yeah, 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 yeah. of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not that it doesn't make sense within the context of the, the no, universe. yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, I uh, just on the rock riders, the the motorcyclists. Um, they uh, the the canyon that they shot on in in the film. It's like you know, it's probably like I don't know, a hundred, maybe fifty meters tall, whatever. It's not it's not that tall, right? Yeah. And you see these motorcyclists doing these like wild, cool, like driving down the mm-hmm. side of it. The the actual they they for some fucking reason they filmed that on an actual mountain. So in reality, they were yeah. filming on. They're not filming on a canyon that's like fifty meters tall. They're filming on the top of a mountain with like a thousand meter drop. Like that is yeah. they filmed that in so much more dangerous conditions than they seemingly needed to. I think, I think to, that but... there must be a logic behind why they did it on that mountain rather than the canyon that they were filming the other scene. I, I imagine it was actually for safety somehow. Yeah, and I think but, I think part of the but canyon George Miller was just... constructed too. I don't think that was all natural. Yeah, I mean, the the one where the, the shot of the truck rolling yeah. over, that's a, yeah, uh, but... a constructed canyon, yeah. yeah. Tom, I, w- I want to ask you... Um, what your favorite car is? Oh, dude, <laughs> Australian um, car man. Yeah, no, yeah. I was actually thinking about this. Um, my favorite one that actually, I, I looked into this. Uh, first of all, I, I want to run some some cool. Or just one cool fact here, um, which yeah, you guys yeah. would have known from seeing the um, these car docu- or the documentaries about the Mad Max cars. But um, uh, yeah. from a the whole like this whole philosophy of the cars being an extension of the character and their wardrobe and things like that sort of yeah. you know not unlike a, a a classic western where you've got the favorite horse or the favorite gun or whatever um I, some of these i mean some uh were in fact no they were all fantastic i don't know what i'm talking about but yeah. there, <laughs> there was one in just uh the engineering of the vehicle itself that made me just like cackle which is the Morton joe's giga horse <laughs> the yep. giga horse it's fucking <laughs> it's not my favorite car but it's uh as like a yeah it's ridiculous so it's like the double cadillac thing hilarious yeah. fantastic Dude. and then <laughs> these massive wheels and everything but then in the engine or like the engines i should say i i love that they went to such extremes that they were like uh I, I don't know what you guys know about engine history stuff, but basically uh, they put these two 502 V8s in there, which are like, so V8s, you know, we love V8s. They're loud, they're big, they're crazy. But like back in the day, um, 
pre-oil crisis, the way to make a car go fast was to put an engine that was basically a truck engine in the front of these cars and just pump as much fuel and air through it as you possibly could. And it was the Mm. most ridiculous, wasteful way to make a car go fast. Classically American engineering sort of tactic. Now, of course, we've got different ways to make cars go fast, such as having vaguely efficient wheels and things like that. Um, For a Morton Joe, they went, okay, so he's a crazy guy with too much of everything. Let's give him two of the fucking most ginormous truck <laughs> engines and stack them next to one another yeah. and supercharge them. Oh, my God. I just feel like that is so the funniest good. thing ever. And I love yeah. that. Um, I yeah. also love when you're watching the interview with that actor who plays Immortan Joe. He's kind of like embodying yes. this old man, small penis attitude to cars where he's like, <laughs> you just put your foot down and everybody knows who you are. Who, I was just I like, know, oh, yeah. man. Who, who, plays, who, who plays the villain in the first movie? Oh, the main villain the like movie. the, um, the biker guy. He's the, in the first one as well. Yeah, that's crazy. That's I suppose awesome. he's in pretty and fucking heavy makeup this time around, so mm. not like you could really tell. Yeah. Good recycling of the cast yeah. there. Um, but my favorite car, though, sorry to bring it back, was um, actually like in these wide shots of the the entire interceptor fleet of a Morton Joe's thing. I saw off in the background a C three Corvette, which is like uh, they're very expensive, classic muscle slash sports cars from the starting in the late fifties, going all the way up to now. But um, that edition is one of my favorites, and they're you know, they're known for just being expensive Coke addict fast cars that people wrap around poles all the time. They're basically, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. But they're, they're, they're American. They were never exported by GM to Australia. So I was sort of like this, that's a really crazy car to decide to chop up and, you know, eventually explode. That's a very expensive choice. And I looked into yeah. it and apparently there was this company in the eighties that, um, because GM never exported them. So you'd have to pay not only the ridiculous price for this sports car, which was actually, you know, the whole appeal of it in America was that any old hillbilly um, could afford one and then afford to kill himself in it. Um, you would have to pay absorbent, <laughs> absorbent amounts of money to get it here in Australia and you would still have the sort of rat bag vibe about it so people who had that money wouldn't get it. So I was sort of like, why? what is it doing here on this set? That's crazy. Yeah, that is strange. And I looked into but it I suppose... and someone, yeah, so... I, I don't know who it was exactly, but these, there was this Australian company that was like, ah, oh, you know what we should do? Uh, let's uh, outfit Holden HJ one tonners, which are like these um, super light, fast V8 Holden cars, take off the body and all this stuff and mush it into a sort of setting that would fit a C3 Corvette fiberglass body on top of it. So they're replicas called um, Paredes and you can buy them still now for like less than $20,000. So in redoing this research and for this podcast, I think I stumbled upon a a dream car of mine. I don't know if they're intensely unreliable and awful or anything, but (laughs) it's really got the classic Corvette vibes that I love. Same. That's the same for me. But I just want that that tank. The oh, the bullet tank. tank is oh, yes, yes. Well. The, that's the, a the definite runner-up. Yeah. According to according to the documentary, we yeah. all watched the fastest moving tank of all <laughs> yes. time. Fantastic. <laughs> what a dumb fact. That's so <laughs> cool. Um, I I think the the scene with that tank and the um the uh, I what, am the this? conductor of the choir yes. of death. I am the scales of justice. That is awesome. my favorite sequence in this movie. It's just so fucking ridiculous. Uh, like he he gets a um, he gets shot in the fucking yeah, eyes. Yeah, no, he. Yeah. I think he, his um 
his spotlight thing gets shot out by Furiosa, and then I guess he gets like yeah. bur- his eyes get burned or something. So they just uh, like wrap yeah, yeah, yeah. a they wrap a piece of cloth around his eyes, and then he just pulls out his guns, and <laughs> shooting in the air everywhere. And this music is like just fully ramped up, and he's screeching about all this insane shit. Like that's oh big Corvette God, vibes. That is yeah. that's that's real that Corvette so, vibes. Yeah, that is great. Jo- on that note, Joel, what's I can't your favorite? They did the NRA dirty like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Joel, what's what's your favourite sequence? <laughs> I, I think my favourite is any of the buzzards. Oh, the buzzards. Yeah, the buzzards yeah. are fantastic. The first proper set piece. Because of the impracticability. Yeah. It's like just yeah. pure impracticability for a real-life situation. Yeah, I love that so much. Vibe. But, I mean... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I do really like the buzzards. I really like the motorbikes with like the the where the back wheel is. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think yes. that's like a. Oh, they're so cool. I think Those that's a crazy. drag racing thing for motorbikes. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know so how that works. Real. Yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, like, that's sick. another. That's yeah. big Corvette energy as well. That's, yeah, that's some should, hillbilly you shit. Get one of them. Fuck, fuck you, fuck you. Whatever you were gonna get before, get one of these ones. <laughs> yeah. But I think essentially the best vehicles are the ones that, as Tom was saying, are made specifically for a character because then they've fleshed out the entire... Well, it's it, they've done it for all of the vehicles, really, because every every single character that is on the screen essentially has its own backstory developed by that actor and developed by George and developed totally. by the, the, uh, the crew. Yeah, especially the, the the main the main villains and the main characters' cars are especially uh, detailed, and I really love that about them. But just from a pure like, holy shit, that is fucking crazy cool. The uh, Bigfoot, yeah, yes, yeah, love Bigfoot. Is, I just um... really like monster trucks. So Dude, that was like yeah. no, not Brutus. What's his name? Um, yeah, I think his name's Brutus. Rictus, 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 Rictus. He's like a baby. He's got all that baby um, paraphernalia on his uh, on his mm. costume, and his car is just that fucking it's great, a great dystopian bad guy. Yeah, he is so so good. Um, By the way, the um, the. The, the other brother of a Morton Joe, yes. the, the person with soft bone disease, yes. is actually a director himself. Oh, yeah, yes. he's fucking great. I he, remember he seeing him on away, like podcast a year ago, once. I think. Yeah, I think oh, he did. That's really sad. Yeah, yeah he's a yeah. good dude. Um, we should fucking yeah. find his goddamn name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to mention other people. I do not know anyone's name other than George Miller, essentially. I was just like, yeah. I want to. I just want to talk about the buzzing scene a bit more because that's like our that's yeah. like our first proper action set piece. That's when we start to sort of learn about. Um, is it uh, Max isn't in that scene yet? Is he? Uh, or because, no, because he's still yeah, he's still he's, on the he's still a blood bag. Yeah, he's a blood point. bag. Man. Um, well, yeah. So he's in the scene, but he's not. He's not actively fighting. No, that's right. Um, yeah. We get. Uh, he's still just grunting at. Everything. Yeah, that's right. We get um, Furiosa, and we like start to learn about what the fuck she does, which Charlize Theron is incredible in this movie. Oh, her, dude, she um, totally fucking crushes Incredible this. in every yeah, single she, movie I've she, ever seen. She's generally her. pretty fucking badass. Um, but, uh... She's a golden earth. In the, uh, just a little story from the documentary, one of the documentaries that we all probably watched, um, is the, the thing about her hair, where she was, like, they all, yeah. they did a lot of, um, of concept design for her costume, because they really wanted her to just, like, make an impact, um, and... And not be just like the right, exactly. Um, 
female character. And yeah. her hair was a big point of contention, apparently. They just couldn't figure out how to, like, really, you know, they couldn't find a, a hairstyle that worked for the character that they were going for. So Charlize actually suggested it to the costume department, I think. She was like, you know what? I'm fucking... I'm really annoyed by hair in the movie industry right now, so let's just shave it. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. actually, that's, that's not well, fucking Well, no, bad. I think that was a, a, a legitimate, like, personal decision that she wanted to right. shave her head anyway, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it just worked perfectly for the character, yeah. too, which is, is so great. And, and there's this, this piece of concept art where she has dreadlocks. Yes, I, I saw and that. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Imagine this fucking movie, but, but she has dreadlocks. Yeah. I know. <laughs> And I love the her um her arm contraption is so it's so cool and I love that that's just one of the things in this movie that is like wow that's great and we get no explanation for it they don't give a shit about explaining it it's I, just I want to know how the fingers there. work on that thing it seems I like, know like what I know yeah how the, how the actual fingers work in, no, in no. world yeah in, in world because the... like you know that's some brain link up yeah. stuff something with an it Amazon logo sense. on it yeah. you know. Yeah, but they don't give a shit about explaining. And that's one of the, what's one of the best examples of why this movie is actually essentially a CG movie in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, oh, we're gonna in, have in to that... fight about that. So. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> hear me ding, out. Ding. Hear me out. Right. Oh. Hear, hear me out. It's a complete practical film in 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 the sense of all the stunts are practical and everything, right? But what I mean by that, by it being a CG movie, is they've used CG in the perfect way to use CG. They haven't just been like, oh, we'll just leave it up to, you know, CG. They've used it in the most tasteful and limiting way just just to achieve, like, a more clearer picture, essentially. And I fucking love that. I love this balance that George Miller has found between CG and practical effects because to do this movie justice with all the practical effects, you really need to have a lot of CG to make it work. And uh, I feel like other directors, a lot of times, they're just stubborn about that and they're like, oh, I don't want any CG, you know? He's, he's used it perfectly. Totally. I think I the just, no CG I argument is, like, full of pretense, definitely. And, like, this movie definitely deserves yeah. praise for its uh, for the way it's done it, I think, because it's, uh, yeah, it's tasteful. It's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like... Yeah. Yeah, especially given that, you know, we're so... I mean, they want to remove this... This this arm, so they're like, well, we'll just green screen yeah, the arm, yeah. and and it it works perfectly. Yeah, totally. And, and I think for an audience now who's like, like overexposed to Marvel movies, it's it's always going to be a cool thing. Anyway, you reminded me of something before when you were talking about the dreadlocks, Matt. Um, I remember when this movie came out. That was me. I saw this interview where uh, uh, someone, one of the reporters, was asking the production team, "Hey, is this movie a uh, you know, there's lots of strong female roles in it." Um, and, you know, they're taken quite seriously in this film. Would you consider this a feminist film? And one of the, I don't know who it was that said, gave this answer, but someone stands up and they're like, no, it's not a feminist film. It's a, I think it's a, it's, they said it was a movie that um, treats women like humans or something like that, which is, yeah. which is a fair call. But it's also like, I remember the, I don't know, this might've been specifically my experience with, how the world was viewing feminism when this movie came out, but I was in year nine at a rural private school. So feminism was yeah. kind of a dirty word in a lot of, yeah. not in my circle. Cause I, I was friends that. with all of the PC oh, art cucks. Um, but yeah. 
<laughs> the everyone else who held footballs and basketballs and stuff like that were very much like yeah, so yeah well pretty much everyone who even if they held feminist values of you know women are people <laughs> things like that they didn't want to call themselves feminists which i think yeah. is um yeah. whereas now that landscape's totally changed i remember getting in a lot of arguments about that with people yeah, during that time it was a so weird thing. You, you are very right yeah, yeah but again we went to high school in the same town so you know, I, I I guess this that interview is kind of also further proof of the idea that um, I feel like this is one of those landmarks for how modern filmmaking has kind of shifted up a gear for um, mm-hmm. treating people as humans and stuff like that. It was definitely a touch point yeah. for when we were, everyone was like, ah, oh, dolls are dolls. Holding men accountable. Yeah. All right. Tell me about that, Joel. It, more than just holding men accountable, it's holding humanity accountable for the atrocities that it wreaks on its own self. And a lot of that, you know, the historical fact is that almost all of that comes from men. Yeah, and I think... oil barons of men. I think that... that, That's just how it is. That comes through in a small detail. The the line, who killed the world, is... uh, I think it's written in one scene and it's repeated in the other scene and in both situations that is uh, a, a woman has written or said that. Right, so it's women yeah. screaming at men who killed the world. It's like, yeah, it's kind of, it was them. It was them. And it's and it's just it's just it's so, it's just fucking true. Like, yeah. <laughs> people people get really fucking angry about that, but like, just read any of history, and it's always men in charge of the worst things. Yeah. And so, I think I think yeah. something that I, I, I love that it doesn't I doesn't shy away from that fact. Something I've come across... In this post-apocalyptic world. Sorry, I kept trying to interrupt you there. Something... I, are you done? Classic man move, that. Big <laughs> Corvette vibes in so you. <laughs> but you got your fucking legs spread, you fucking... You man spread. Um, I, uh, something I come across in a lot of the, like, feminist conversations around this film, like, video essays and stuff, is that Max... Th- this is this movie is called Mad Max, but this isn't really his movie. Mm. This is Furiosa's story, yeah. and Max just gets on board because you know enemy enemy of my enemy is my friend. But also, he has a lot of points where he could leave, but instead he just sort of he does this thing called allying, which is what a lot of us straight white yeah. males can be doing in twenty twenty, right? For all marginalized groups, begrudgingly yeah. in this case. But <laughs> wait, but what do you mean? In the end of the day, he. No, in the in the case of Mad Max, he's very begrudging yeah. about helping these but people. But that's out. a redemption well, story, start, you know. It changes th- exactly. him into a good cowboy. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, and 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 the basic template for a Mad Max movie seems to be Mad Max is in this world, and he goes, for, and he ends up in a situation where he's he has a choice to help people, and he generally chooses to help mm. people. And in this case, uh, in this story, the person that he's, you know, stumbled aco- uh, across is Furiosa and, and the five wives, and he's like, I'm going to help these people. Once again, begrudgingly, he, you know, eases into that mindset. In the case of this story within this world, this specific story, which there's, you know, millions of other stories to tell because of how well the world is set up, he is in a situation where he's so out of his depths Really, he he's completely like you know, not prepared for what's going on here, and like you wouldn't be. No one would. Fuck, no fucking like wasteland uh, wanderer is ready to play a part in the like essentially the war between all of the between the, everyone the, and the, women the tyrants <laughs> yeah. of the a- yeah. area. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like. 
but but Furiosa is has been raised in the fire, so she is ready to 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 match that 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 totally. flame. I think another <laughs> yes. thing this movie does really yeah. well is probably not uh, making. I mean, it does a little bit, but I think in a way that uh, I feel, and I might be biased, I probably am biased in this matter, but, you know, it's not so like, oh, thank God, Max was here, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's yeah. a little bit at the end, we I get that crowd, that. like, bye, see ya, oh, thanks, pal, but it's not like, uh, oh, give this man a medal. It's almost you know? like, fuck, Max is here. I know. We're going to have to do yeah. what So <laughs> the, the dynamic between Furiosa and Max is... Um, I love how they explore that. Yes, definitely yes. one so, of the best examples ever. Yeah, so so when when Max like when he first interacts with um, Furious and the Five Wives, it is almost yeah, it's like you said, Joel. It's like fuck, Max is here. <laughs> like he is in opposition yeah. to them at the beginning, and then sort of begrudgingly becomes an ally. And the way that that is shown through the movie is through guns, through the symbolic trans transfer of guns, and like who's trying to shoot who, who holds the guns. So when when they first meet, Max turns up with his his iconic shotgun, which we already know from the previous scene is to like sand gunked to shoot. And uh, Furiosa gets a pistol from the um, from the war rig, and then they both end up with they end up switching guns, and then try. Um, Furiosa goes to shoot Max with the shotgun, doesn't work, and then Max gets control of her gun, and then he puts three bullets in uh, uh, in the sand beside her head. Which for some reason I just really really love oh, me that too, shot. Man. Great, of yeah. Max sitting on her, and you then know, it's just like this satisfying thunk thunk thunk. You know what it is? I was I'm like. Yeah, if Tom Hardy was in this situation, that's what he might do, and that's just like that's not true at all. But that's just what in my head, how my head works. No, but like, but then we get the big the, Corvette energy uh, there. <laughs> big Corvette energy. Yeah. Um, we get the next uh, transfer of guns, which is Max getting in the cab. Everyone's in there, and then he just like clicks his fingers and he points and he starts pulling out all of oh, these guns, that, doing, doing this gun. On that note, that, that is, is my favorite scene of this whole movie. Yes, like we totally get like the lowdown of Matt is of Max is clued into what the fuck is going on, but you know, yeah. not really. He's trying his best. He's in survival it's, mode, and Furiosa is so clued in that she's kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe I'll shoot you with this gun. And he's like, hang on. It's yeah. also one of the first like. Like times where they they really really just fully show you that they've completely realized this world yeah. and yeah. and not only not only is Max so broken that he can barely speak but Furiosa is so broken that she has she knows that she's gonna get like there's gonna be a situation where she's gonna need fifteen yeah. different yeah, guns right. yeah. around, around the compartment of her and car. also continuity wise <laughs> that is like so unnecessarily unnecessary because so many movies do it where characters just end up with random guns and random amounts of ammo but like they yeah. legitimately explain all of the There's sources of guns and ammo it. in this movie yeah, yeah Max shows us all of the guns that they've got it's like John Wick where you know he's pulling them all out we're like wow that's so cool he's got yeah, 15 yeah, yeah, Glocks yeah. whereas like this yeah. one they're like I don't know, the way of uh, keeping track of these weapons and setting up later yeah we've got a flare gun yeah we've got a sniper rifle yeah we've got yada yada uh, this sequence not only achieves that, which is always a cool scene, but it's also like establishes these tensions between Furiosa and Max in such a way that I don't know. Yeah. It's just a beautiful scene. And yeah, so mm-hmm. the the next example I can think of is when uh, Furiosa is making the deal with the Rock Riders, and she's going to unhitch the fuel pod, and then shit goes wrong, and she calls out for Max to um, to drive the car to drive the car to to, um to drive the war rig and uh she jumps back in and she's holding a shotgun and they sort of give each other this look 
because that's the first time, like, you know, she's had a gun and she's not been trying to kill him. They sort of give each other this look and it's like, okay, you know, we're, we're kind of, kind of in league together now. Like we just, we just made, had an agreement. Yeah. yeah the slow building um, of trust is. Ugh. Yeah. And then. And it's, and it's that scene where she asks him his name. Yes. And he just grunts. Yeah. 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 No, he says, doesn't matter. <laughs> and that is. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And. and 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 then he call and then she calls him fool. Yeah. Like and she just said, I love the way that Charlize has thrown that line out because it's just like, you can tell like calculated in her head. She's like, yep, this guy's a, a bit of a fuckhead, <laughs> and, and it, it, she just like throws it out there like the fact of the matter thing. I really like that yeah, line. Yeah, and it's really well we'll done. we'll go into we're definitely going to talk about the ending of the film later. But like the the setup is there. What's your name? And then the payoff when he is he's giving blood furiosa and then just in the perfect gaps between the music he says max my name is max it's just like mm. that yeah. fucking gives me goosebumps talking about it but um so the mm-hmm. next uh next situation of guns is when uh they are being hunted by um the bullet bullet farmer and they know he's out there and they can see his um his searchlight and max has the sniper rifle which we know has four bullets because that was an earlier line when furiosa told uh, the girls to to the um, five wives to take five a stock wives. of all the ammo, and they literally say, "We've got four bullets for this big boy." We see Max crouch down. He takes one, two, three shots, and with the last shot, he looks at Furiosa, and then f- he begrudgingly gives her the gun, and then she lays it on his shoulder, and that's like, you know, that again, narratively, that's okay. There is whip trust, it out, like, Furiosa. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then Furiosa says to him, "Don't breathe," which is just like. What a beautiful moment of uh, cooperation, you know. And then she actually she yeah. hits the um, yeah. the bullet farmer, and and you've you've put that perfectly because I feel like uh, when this first came out, one of the biggest things I saw with stupid uh, idiots um, on the internet complaining about uh, yeah, get him, Joel. it being a femi- feminist film. Yeah, those stupid, stupid idiots. idiots. And, <laughs> Don't swear on the show. And, uh, we haven't done it before. We shouldn't do it now. <laughs> um, was like. Oh well, yeah. Of course they would have it like so. He can't shoot the gun. Like that's just stupid. Like he, he's Mad Max. He should be able to shoot a gun real <laughs> yeah. good. And it's like, no. Where in Mad Max's story does he like shoot a fucking sniper yeah, long no, range? He's the shotgun it, guy. It completely <laughs> makes sense that Furiosa would like you know be out in the desert, you know, every day and would spend some time practicing shooting and yeah. be good at shooting and the many mothers just makes sense. sniper rifles and everything yeah and, set up. and that um yeah. that uh sniper rifle that furiosa uses the one we're talking about that is very obviously her gun because it also has a special added um wooden stock uh, on it for her for her like funked up fucked up hand her funked up her fucked up hand to hold so like that is her it gun is she would fucking know how to use that better than max would yeah. like um, and then the last one that we get, which is probably my favorite one, this is pointed out, it pointed out this, this whole idea is, um, not my own. It came from a video essay on YouTube by a guy called Just Right, who's, he's great. Check it out. But there is a, no, there's a shot, there's a shot. It only goes for like five frames or something, but, um, it's when Max and Furiosa are both in the cab and they're being attacked and Furiosa just sort of turns her body so that they are in the frame. They are right next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. They're both pointing pistols out the window. Mm. And it's just like this perfect symbolism of like, yeah, these dudes are completely 100% allies now. Like there is no question. They, they yeah. have got a common enemy. There's no question anymore. Like it's a really and great then they shot. save each other. Uh, they save yes. each other. Uh, um, and I, I really like those bits because it, because it shows like, empathy is really what it is and it's 
it's Max as this broken person showing that even the most broken of people, a guy that has had his wife and kids die, like, and then been, like, lost in a wasteland for for the for the, the rest of the time, which we don't know if that's actually the story of this particular version of yeah. Max, but in my head that's what it yeah. is. Um, even that person that is just completely broken can still show empathy and can still, you know, have some humanity and, and you know, work with someone. Mm essentially um i it's it's amazing i want to talk about the um five wives so i think there there is an interesting Mm -hmm. um section of that documentary that we keep talking about i don't know if you guys watched it but there is a a whole um 15 or 20 minute segment on the five wives and yes they are all um uh, from what it seemed in that documentary they were all a little bit begrudging about the um honestly the sort of like very blatant like these women are objects and yes that's part of the like the one like the establishment of the villain and everything but like the way all of them well that's part of the real world and this is based on the real yeah, world um but yeah. all like the, there's a couple of conversations about furiosa's costume compared to the costumes of the five wives and how they are all sort of sort of classically like not really clothes they're basically just like bras and undies and yeah, Furiosa's mm-hmm. costume is very much not that. Like, it's very sort of practical and, like, badass like she is. But, um, yeah. yeah, The Five Wives, I, I, I don't know. The, that documentary made me think about, like, okay, maybe there's, like, there, there's definitely some um, sort of frustrations and unhappiness the, these girls have. So, I don't know. Watch that documentary. No, I feel like I feel like it's more that when they first were presented with this concept of being wearing this sort of uh this this, basically like sheets that are cut up um yeah yeah when they first were presented with that they didn't understand the characters yet yeah maybe and i i feel like there's 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 a point in that interview and those interviews as well where one of them says like oh yeah and then i got it and then i understood that by doing this by playing this role i would actually be you know, playing part in this sort of... This is not an exact quote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, playing part in this sort of, you know, feminist uh, ideal, like, actually, you know, adding to the ethos of art, which empowers women, essentially. Oh, I see. Um, I haven't seen that documentary uh, exactly. So is, was the frustration sort of like, oh, these are not very humanising clothes, George. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. 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 It, it... It, well, yeah. And, and, and it's like, they did these workshops for... Yes. Um, for which is just the coolest thing ever. That's how films should yeah. be made. Like George Miller is, is amazing, and and he's put it so much effort and so much time into this film, and it really shows. And for them as individuals, they were able to build their own characters completely. Like almost all the actors in this movie were tasked with um, building their characters' backstories, um, which I think is very special, um, and. For the the example of the wives, it's really the truest example because they come into the to the film thinking, "Oh, what is this? You know, I, I am a model, I am an actor, I I am used to getting um sort of things thrown at me that are uh pretty degrading roles to be in." And yeah, somewhere along that process, it really feels like they all all realize that that was not the case in this film. It's not a degrading thing. It's it's a representation of the reality of of the world, which is that human beings are used as livestock, and especially women, 
Yeah, and by portraying yeah, this. I, yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that's no, a good no, thing. No, 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 so I, I just want to keep talking about the um, Furos and the Five Wives because I have a lot to say about them. Yeah. Uh, I have yeah. a lot to say is, like, one of the dumbest, like, male male lines you can have. I have a lot to say about this. Um, I have a statement. I have an opinion. It's like... And it's important. Matt, it's, it's, like in, it's like in class when the annoying kid would be like, I have three questions. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and you're like, like oh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, man. Yeah. Or like when someone, when someone in class, I experience this a lot in online classes right now of like the end of the class and the teacher going, all right, I've got like five minutes for questions. Someone be quick. And then someone will get on the mic and be like, all right, I've got one question. It's going to be really quick. I promise it'll be super, super quick. Okay. It'll be really, really quick. What's the meaning of life? <laughs> no, but they just spend like fucking half a minute saying like, okay, my question's going to be really fast. It's really quick, easy to answer. It'll be like two yeah. seconds. Don't worry, it's gonna be really quick. And I'm like, okay. And and YouTubers do it a lot too, or like podcasts do it a lot, yeah, where they have podcasts. like a pre-show, yeah, pre-show thing where they're like, uh, I'm just gonna talk about the uh, dates I'm doing for stand-up. Um, I'll just be really <laughs> yeah. quick, and then it ends up being fucking 50 minutes of them talking yeah. about each individual city that they're going to. Dude, we should start doing live shows of this. Um, yeah, to yeah, no that's one. right. No, so Furious and the Five Eyes. I really like. Uh, you mentioned the. Yeah sort of insinuation of backstory we get in in this and yeah. uh coupled with the okay, workshops piss i want to talk sequence about over he's back piss boy sequence is back perfect timing um the workshops Did you wipe your hands uh yeah i also wash them oh dude it's a whole great. big thing no you know just you just wipe them on your pants <laughs> that's true you actually wipe them on your asshole um in the great. uh workshops <laughs> in the workshops uh you see some footage in this documentary of the five wives the actors um sitting in these chairs and then there's like 50 extras that are being war boys and they're all just like screaming and bowing doing and the they're, salute. they're doing they're yeah. doing the like cross fingers salute thing to salute. the um yeah. to the wives and the wives are all just sitting there like uh okay all right okay like by the way that 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 salute is actually the idea of the guy who plays a modern joe and really villain in the first Hugh, film Hugh, yeah he name? was like yeah Hugh he Keith was Burn. like i think that yeah I, 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 by the way i think that guy's a ab- aboriginal activist which is you know that's nice. oh yeah he was um, wearing a he was wearing a badge and all, uh, of the indigenous flag yeah and I, I looked him up at one point and there was something about that anyway yeah. um he he sort of like saw that concept and he was like yeah that that's great that's like the the Heil Hitler essentially yeah, basically um and they really play into it and I think it's fantastic yeah. yeah so the scene you're talking about is like the five wives are sitting there <laughs> essentially at this point they're just five people because they're not yeah, really yeah, inhabiting the their characters properly but but the inverse of that there is all these war boys that are fully fully sort of embodying their characters doing the salute and there's this one shot from the documentary where where you can see on the faces of the the five wives they're like the fuck (laughs) what are we doing right (laughs) now what is happening i know it's really funny you should watch that um so in canon um i think the dynamic between the five wives and furiosa is really cool and it's one of those other things that like you get really subtle hints Mm -hmm. at but it's never really explained so the, the insinuation in the story is that 
okay, Furiosa got, um, she got in contact with the wives and she was like, okay, I'm going to go back and try and find this, like, the green place, this haven for women that I was born in, and I want to take you guys with me because, obviously, you're in a fucked up situation. Uh, some Not only that, she's actually, it's a revenge story, according to Charlize. She, right. more yeah, than yeah. wanting to save these women, she, she wants to, wants to get face. back at this tyrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and uh, the relationship that she sort of has with them, there's a lot of little lines that insinuate that she is, like, um, she's become a sort of teacher to them and, and, a, and a leader for them. Mm. Like, uh, especially, the, I think one of the early lines we mentioned before where um, Furiosa gives one of the guns to um, to Ang Harren uh, and Ang Harren sort of, she she tells Ang Harren to, um, Ang Harren is the, um, what's what's the, it, precious or something? It's not precious, it's splendid, splendid. Um <laughs> She gives the gun to Splendid and she's like, reload that. And Splendid just sort of like holds it, looking at it like, oh shit, like what the fuck do I do? And then uh, Zoe Kravitz's character, um, the one with the shortcut hair, grabs it and then she starts reloading it. And that's sort of one of her, we, we barely get character names for these these women, but that's like one of her parts of characterization is, okay, she is like the like sort of hard talking, like cap- very capable one, even though the redhead one is actually her character name is capable, but like we get these little points of characterization for all of them. And I, I, I just think that's really cool. Like small details um, for uh, splendid as well. Like when she goes, uh, so she, she can't reload the gun. And then like a few minutes later when um, Joe is pointing the gun at Furiosa from uh, his car and Splendid, like, hangs out the door to um, stand in his way because yeah. she knows that Joe isn't going to shoot. And that's, like, this sort of, like, oh, shit. Basically I... presenting the ba- the baby to, yeah, to yeah, him, yeah. like, which is the main thing that he's worried yeah, about. Yeah, because, and, like, yeah. character-wise, that's sort of this moment of her being like, fuck, I can't reload the gun, what can I do? And then she presents herself as, like, this human shield, basically, knowing that she'll she'll save Furiosa. And that's, like, a... It's just it's such a, a moment cool of, like, character ultimate moment. feminine like, power, right? Like, like... Yeah. This is the one thing that you, you, you like. Obviously, uh, Amon Joe is like this horrible tyrant and this terrible person. But, but this is this one thing that no matter what, Amon Joe can't do it himself, and he needs these people, uh, these women to to uh, have an know, heir. Uh, yeah, have an heir, and in that way, they have power over yeah. him. Yeah, and it's a really nice moment. Yeah, of, of like like taking control. Yeah, it is cool. Um, yeah, and then uh, when Ang Harrod falls off, so first of all, she like uh, almost gets hit by the rock, and then there's this sort of seemingly Deus, Deus Ex Machina where like, oh, she didn't get hit by the rock somehow. She survived, and then she just slips off the car. And well, it doesn't she get? So yeah, the, yeah. the sequence oh, yeah, is yeah, she's yeah, hanging yeah. out. Yeah. She's hanging out of the door, and then there's a rock, and Joe calls out to her to be careful. And then the rock smashes into the door, and we think she might be have been hit, but then we see that no, she's actually like hidden behind the back of the cab. She's okay, and then she starts climbing around to get in the door, but she slips, and then she falls to the ground, and um, she goes under Joe's wheels, and he sort of spins out of the way, and there's this moment where the all of the the fight the wives are yeah the, all the wives are screaming they're like we gotta stop we gotta go back and uh furiosa looks at max and she says did she go under the wheels and max is like she went under the wheels and then like that's just it like there, there is i wish i had that shot right now that i could watch because in in my head what i saw is her not yeah actually me too no, yeah but... it, 
that might yeah, not be right. Yeah, it sort of seemed as though she yeah. didn't, and and then she's still breathing. Is, um, after can't yeah, tell, but really. also we see yeah. we see her later in Joe's car, and she uh, it's sort of insinuated that she didn't die initially, but that she died later in Joe's car, and then um, they could <laughs> and try then and get Angus the baby Samson's out. character. Yeah, it's the, an umbilical uh, cord. mechanic. <laughs> That's his character name. Yeah, who's it? Awesome fucking character. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, it just and and then I, I wish there was. Um, so, I want another movie from this world more than fucking any any film in my mind. Like this is what I want to see. Like more than anything, and I want that film to be about Furiosa. Probably that's sort of like her story. I feel like that would be a really good one. And, and really anyone like fucking the, the whole world is complete. So you can tell anyone's story, but, um, I want it to be a little more graphic because imagine like, imagine if we actually got to see a sort of like almost a body horror element in this film where they actually have the cesarean. I mean, that would have been just would have been so confronting yeah. <laughs> and and so raw and real and and as someone who really likes those elements in a movie i feel like that would be you know one one extra little bit of spice that you could throw in to make this movie even more a little even paprika better. if you will yeah yeah, yeah. yeah um, i think a um, smoked paprika what i would love if for a for a, maybe not uh, you know another entrance to the mad max franchise is probably rather than cuz i feel like we got furiosas story not the whole thing i would like to know more about it yeah. like time with exactly. a morton joe but i think if i would uh i mean it, if i would ever fucking make the next mad max thing it would be something like continuing of this because i like how they again return to that point about how max isn't uh heralded uh in an overly dramatic sort of not white like savior. savior yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, he like he's a little bit, but just in a he's like the traveling cowboy who's there to lend a hand. Um, and mm-hmm. so now we've established him well and truly as that in this film. I think, I think the next entrance should definitely have a lot to do with indigenous Australians within okay, this yeah. perfect, uh, dude, context. Perfect segue. And then, yeah, well, and I think also but, given how the world is currently progressing, that is probably the next maneuver. IMO. Yeah, um, I think so. I so um, yeah, I don't really know what that would look like, but one definitely of, those. It could be elements. a film about industrialization. Anyway, um, sorry, I'm just really excited about this because I it only clicked for yeah. me in this watching. But um, from the little details that we get about Furiosa, she I I think she's written as the stolen generation. Ah. So we we get a line from her about being stolen from her parents. Or all of these wives, or, or is it? Do you think that's the case with like? A lot of the potentially, here, potentially, because um, yeah. we, we get a line from her about ah. being uh, taken from her family when she was very young, and there's this idea of the green place, which is this mm. this mm. assumed this this area of the country, literal country mm. as like the indigenous country where everything yeah. is just fucking cool, like everything is good, everything yep. is happening there. They literally call it the green place when everything else is just orange desert, and like yeah, the, the green place is country, and then she finds what was her her people her mob and they are like oh yeah no everything's fucked like we the 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 tribe the mob everyone's dead there's no green place it, it's fucked and that's exactly what is happening right now with like the adani mine and shit so it's true yeah, i think I it would be better one, if it was, was more if it was actually indigenous 
though, because I think following this metaphor, this rope that you've spun now, Matt, I think it's a cool, definitely a cool yeah. thing. But also, we we start treading on on whitewashing territory. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, because <laughs> well, she, yeah. If, I would I would throw away the the. Yeah, I would throw away the character of Furiosa and just tell that story within the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, not throw away the character, but, like, you know, that story that you're alluding yeah, to hit is... That, is hit that harder. Yeah, one hit that harder. That need, yeah. First of all, needs to be told, and, and, and this would be a beautiful way, I think, yeah. to tell it. Another idea I had um, for a... Uh, another story within this world is, like, a rebellion in the Bullet Farm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, like... It's like you know one of those like sort of sort of like a revolution film where where we get all the politics within this bullet farm and we get the uh, the slave labor rising yeah. up. I think that would I, be really. I cool. agree. Or what, a story that focuses on one of the the poorest people in this world. Yeah, yeah dude, it'll be like Star Wars: The Prequels. What a, yeah, what a hit <laughs> it would be! All the politics uh, will add That's Jar Jar <laughs> in there. Um, uh, Trade yeah. Federation, it'll be good. Great. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Sand. There's a lot of sand in this movie, in this whole franchise, and it's coarse and it's rough, <laughs> and, and it gets beautiful. everywhere, man. Round they of even said it in the doco. That was beautiful. Thank you. It's so smooth. <laughs> um, you, and there's just like a sand. scene where they just name off different like political leaders <laughs> in this world, <laughs> and it's just there's the different senators, <laughs> and uh, there's uh, democracy, and uh, it's great. No, but I like this idea of sequels getting sequels uh, from the different towns. So we have Bullet Farm, Gas Town, and the Citadel, and uh, Bullet Farm and Gastown. Yes. Like, I really want to see what the fuck Gastown is because we yes! get it on the horizon and it yes! looks so cool. But you're like, oh, I, I see think it's it. in the video game. What's up? I think it's in the video uh, game. Did the video game? There's suck? a Mad Max video game which I played the first two oh, hours of. Yep. Yeah. Same. 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 Tom. I played that video game. I would say for four out of ten. Six hours before yeah, I and threw my it, PlayStation it in the you with this weird skill tree that's like you can't have the fastest car until you played the whole game and I'm like, God oh well, fuck this shit, man. <laughs> it's the worst fucking video game <laughs> oh. movie I've ever played. No, personally. it's not. Tintin the movie the game was worse. That I played. Okay. Oh. You should play Nacho Libre for DS. <laughs> yeah. Is that real? <laughs> <That's> real. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's the Criterion release. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I should do that, yeah. Um, yeah, I... The DS Criterion collection. <laughs> also, just coming back to the Star Wars illusion, Furiosa's hand does work kind of like how I imagine the Force would work on a piece of metal. That's What? That's my yeah. closing argument for that. What but the fuck for how mean? the contraption of the how the contraption of the closing me- oh, mechanism yeah, yeah, on the yeah. hand works, I th- he's yeah, saying yeah. that. It, I thought yeah. you meant like in the in the, uh, that it can be... like squeeze and warp metal because it's really strong. No, I was like, why, no, when, no, no, how, no. what? <laughs> but Tom, Tom, yeah. as George Miller says, this film does not defy the laws of physics. Oh, yeah. indeed, it's true. Yeah, it's true. Well, if you look really, really closely, there's a tiny little Amazon logo on the inside of the glove. And uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos actually, uh, he cameoed as the mayor of Gastown. Um, that's, that's fucking true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um... But really, though, like, imagine, imagine, so the the tyrants, the leaders of all these worlds are killed within this one I know, story. I love it. It's so. <laughs> So the sequels would just 
all the sequels would need to be is showing what yeah, those what happened worlds to those towns. look like once I don't know yeah once the the leaders is yeah. gone, and uh, gone George Orwell yeah. has the perfect filmography for this that's basically Animal Farm but and you know he did <laughs> yeah. Babe which is also basically Animal Farm I'm I'm just wondering why we're waiting on this that's really the question here <laughs> yeah. that's right we've made the connections well. I think, I think court, realistically, George. it's George Miller is is waiting for a new technology to yeah, to make true. a film with, and I think that technology could is be Cinemax. It could be it could the be LED Cinemax. screens that they use. Uh, currently. Oh yeah, like the they're LED using screens. Um, the Mandalorian yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I haven't seen the Mandalorian. What is this? What are you talking about? Uh, basically, instead of green uh, screen, they I'll, just... I'll send you a link to a video later, Tom. But it's it's essentially a green screen with, but it's literally an LED TV. And it allows yeah no that's cool the, it allows the actors to actually sit within this scene because it's already been shown on the on the screens around them but it's also completely flawless ah oh, wow um, that is yeah, pretty it's amazing like, it's like yeah. if if you instead of staring at a green screen you're actually staring at like an, a screen a, a real screen exactly. that's showing what you what you're seeing in it's an everything screen yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah, um, nice. yes. it's a way that uh, as uh, a director can film a uh, can set a single scene anywhere they want essentially it's amazing I don't know man deserts aren't that hard to find and they all do kind of look the same so I don't know if you need a screen but yeah, it sounds cool <laughs> it's just actual like CRT TVs that they put <laughs> in a circle around yeah the it is it's, it's, I don't know how it works so well there's a lot of high tech shit going yeah. on um there's a video I'll yeah. send you, Tom. Anyway, yeah. uh, the uh, Gastown guy, I just want to talk about him for a second. Like, we were talking about how the vehicle Can we talk about his feet, characters. first of all? Yeah, the feet. What's what going the on fuck? with the feet? Did that, <laughs> I guess that, that reflects the... Um, he is... Uh, he sucks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I man. don't fucking know. That's a bit harsh. What are you talking the, about? Gastown, the mayor of Gastown's feet and how they're really huge and fat. The mayor of Gastown uh, is the elephant man. Yeah, he's just got elephant yeah. titus. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, and he's got that yeah. metal nose for some reason. I, I imagine he has syphilis because one of the things oh, that happens dude. when uh, you get Favorite the old disease. world version, old world, old world version of syphilis is your nose falls off. Oh really? Oh, That's true. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. nice. There's there's a dude. there's a beautiful story of when syphilis uh, was a plague in uh, Sicily. That sounds beautiful. And <laughs> there's there's great descriptions of this town which is just completely ravished by um by the, uh, syphilis and people's extremities are just falling off. It's really good. It's really nice. It's <laughs> uh, that over there, that's the nose pile. That over there, that's the leg pile. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> that's the dick pile. Don't go near the, the dick, dick pile. The dick pile. Nice. <laughs> we got a dog garden, the dick pile. We call it the <laughs> dick <laughs> This is Daniel the dick dog. <laughs> and it cuts to just a dog with like a limp dick just in man. his mouth like... <laughs> 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 oh, poor sweet um, man. The Boston of his Europe. His car. His car is like a... Uh, it's like a truck with um, a limo... Uh, yeah, Mercedes just on it. ...on the top of it. And it, yeah, and it's got like this like mm-hmm. wrought iron... Uh, um, like... Uh, engravings the, as the windows, and I then, love that yeah. car from characterization standpoint. I know, it's but so I cool. hate looking at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate yeah. looking at it. Yeah. Um, I don't really like Mercedes though. To be fair, so I, I don't mind it. I think it's it's good. Ooh. It's like a weird. Yeah, it's just a very weirdly shaped vehicle. But Tom um, just doesn't like Nazis. Well, Nazis are not great. Um, you heard it here first, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Big call, I know. Um, but uh, that 
I think is attached to the um, people eater. I think that's what the the um, that truck is called, which is like a it's a big refueling vehicle, um, and the mm. vehicle is designed such that there is like uh, tubes on the back of it and shit, so that it can refuel the other vehicles on the run. Because like yeah. all of the all of the stunts and everything, all, all the car stunts and everything were actually filmed with them driving like 80 k's an hour like that is legitimately yeah. all moving um and the explosion well not all of it the majority of it there's a lot of tricks that he does um interesting in terms of actually filming things still and and then making the background oh. move but it's only it's only in very small parts, okay yeah like very like cut away little bits like for example where uh Max is on the uh, cat pole and his head almost oh gets like God. shoved into the dirt while they're yeah, going. Hold on. I'm pretty sure they did that going at a snail's pace. I um, and then they just use CG to speed up the background. Okay. I don't know that yeah. for sure, but I, I'm pretty sure based on what I've seen and and based I on, I am yeah. going to disagree. I think that they did do that at speed um, because the polecats are another just insane feat yes. of the stuntmen in this movie. They're all real. They are. So, that's not green screen. Those are legitimately circus performers yeah. that they put up on these. No, six, this makes like, me want to be a stuntman so bad. So Matt, I, I've I've watched the that scene in particular and it, like. In a lot of bits of this this film, when you really analyse and look, you can tell what's going on. You can tell what tricks they've used. A lot of the time, one of the tricks they use is they just they do something slowly and they just speed it up. Yeah, yeah, that um, was a and you can really tell th- that, that was an eighties thing. That's what a lot of action movies used to do. Like they mm. would film and they use it perfectly. Yeah. Like they've used this technique just absolutely perfectly. And I I have to disagree again with you. You're gonna have <laughs> um, to. And I'm pretty sure they did that sort of thing for that bit where they just filmed it at a snail's pace and, and did the CGI. I could be wrong, but... I'm pretty yeah. sure in one of the docos yeah. we saw anyway. them just barely moving, if moving at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Tom Hardy talks about that scene in an interview. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny to see Tom Hardy, who's just like... The guy. The like, epitome of masculinity for me. He's the man. And uh, he is Same. he's talking about doing that scene where, yeah, he's like lowered down on the polecats and he has to like be on the pole for a minute and he starts like laughing and in this really high-pitched voice he goes it was really scary <laughs> Yay, I love that. tom hardy's all the things that tom hardy says in interviews about this movie like, and like every interview he's such a uh, guy one of the, the, the best thing i think anyone has said about this film is when tom hardy said it's not a i'm not acting in a movie I'm just in George's head, and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I just, I just love yeah, that. That's great. I love that quote so much. Um, and also, he says it like the way Tom Hardy would say it. So I was like, "Not, in, <laughs> I can't do it." <laughs> 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 you're not in a movie. You're in Jesus, Georgie. Do you have something in your throat, dude? <laughs> like a fucking animal in your throat? Yeah, <laughs> not. Yeah, it's a great accent. One of my favorite stunts uh, is the the first witness scene when it's it's in that oh. yeah so there's a, a uh, I think it's in the buzzard fight when um one of the war yep. boys gets shot in the like chest and face uh, with like these two little arrow things and then he pulls out the the chrome spray and he he does he screams witness and he jumps onto a buzzard uh, with two thunder sticks and blows it up and. Uh, mm-hmm. In in the movie, that scene is fucking awesome because it's just like he blows it up and then everyone just screams and it's like ah, oh, it's great, everything's everyone's having fun. Um, and the actual stunt was just 
like a lot of the stuntmen, a lot of the people on set said that it was the craziest one that they saw because that this mm-hmm. was legitimately this one was definitely I can guarantee this one was actually going at full speed. This one was like proper. Everyone was going eighty yeah. k's an hour, whatever. And uh, they, so they had the buzzer behind and he's jumping off the back of the truck and they had this insane rig on the top of the truck. So this, this like small crane that he was hooked up to, the buzzard is legitimately like made of actual spikes and everything. So he had yep. to jump from the back of the truck, hooked up to this rig and uh, jump onto the, or like t- towards the buzzard, um, another moving vehicle and the rig had to pull him up in time for him not to be impaled on these yeah. actual spikes. And one of the best things that is one of the best parts about this movie or the crew is the rig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rig has done such oh, a fucking good incredible, job. Incredible, yeah. It is. I mean, you'd have to be good at like, your job, otherwise you'd kill I watch people. a lot of, yeah, I watch a lot of YouTube videos about um, the implementation of practical effects and, and CGI and such like that stuff like that and i've never been so fucking scared seeing a (laughs) seeing a stunt (laughs) being done as as when that guy jumps off the back of that fucking truck and it it, towards this like fucking car full of spikes it's It's so it's legitimately (laughs) the only thing i can compare it to is this this like video i saw of jackie chan where he just goes off the side of a building and it's real and he really doesn't have ropes and it's terrifying so anyway like there's this fantastic documentary um ozploitation it's about like the the, because australia actually had a big film industry back in the day i think uh there's some sort of uh legal hogwash relating to america and uh what are they called embargoes and stuff so it kind of killed it off but um we made these a lot of these really big exploitation films that actually they weren't huge but they were they were pretty interesting. Mad Max came out of this sort of uh, this circuit. This circuit. The funding, um, at least, yeah, 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 definitely. And it, uh, and just generally, yeah, sure. Crazy Australians fucking breaking mm. their legs and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. exporters. Oh, um, that scene, that's that scene in the first film where Mel Gibson gets shot in the leg and he limps to his car is one of the most fucking incredible form of performances I've ever goddamn seen. Because he was actually shot in the leg, man, man. You need to watch that movie. Yeah, they really just <laughs> shot him because he's this anti-semi. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, it's a great flick and they've got this uh, interesting little bit about uh, the stunt people who were there and yeah. how fucking insane yeah. they were. Um, that's yeah. that's some jaw-dropping and, stunt and work. And one of those, kind of one a bad of those way. stuntmen from back then is the guy yeah. who does the truck yeah. flip. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, some of the yeah the stunt guys on this like, it, it just really makes you think. These documentaries, particularly, just really make you realize how fucking insane of a job that is. Like you're really just putting mm-hmm. yourself in these insane life threatening situations for movies and shit. Like it's that's mm-hmm. really then wild. you have a like, license some... to be Clint Booth from Once Upon a Time yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah, that's right. Which exactly. is pretty pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, everyone like makes fun of uh, what's his name Tom Hardy Buckingham Tom Tom. Tom, the the little one in Mission Impossible. Oh, um, Tom Cruise. The little guy. Tom Cruise. Everyone makes fun of him because he's like, oh, Tom Cruise does his own stunts. But to be an actor and then also do your own stunts is like being the most insane person on the fucking And he is a Scientologist, so... Because... Yeah. 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 (laughs) Don't know where he got that from. Which we... Which over here, we we all respect Scientology. (laughs) If uh, you're a solid Scientologist out there listening to this... Don't um, take our babies. Hello. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Maybe a one Irish listener is a Scientologist. Is that a big thing? Are Irish people yeah. into Scientology? Is that a no, stereotype? No, we just have one Irish listener. It's, I thought that was your <laughs> mum. Yeah, someone using a VPN. <laughs> I think most likely an Irish person. Um, yeah. Sure. The Irish love films. Another thing, now they're just fucking... Like yeah, one let's of the quickly best shuffle along from these Irish stereotypes. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, Irish. Um, the Doof Warrior. The, yeah, the man. Whoa. The dude, yep. the legend, the guy in the chair. Just so fucking stupidly good. So the way the way um, Miller talks mm-hmm. about him is that, like, when, when you know, when there's uh, these kings and whatever in history, when they march with their armies, they have, like, you know, a little boy playing the drums or something. But this is the... Immortan Joe the, post-apocalypse If we're version. talking about Irish people, we have the, the boy playing the fife up front. Right. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is this is Immortan Joe's ver- post-apocalyptic version of, like, the, the drummer boy or the bugle or whatever. It's just this, like, mm-hmm. fucking zombie man. The African playing. war drums. Yeah. And a bunch of dudes playing these gigantic drums into, like, air shafts with speakers attached to them as just like wow what what a fucking fun set piece that is when you first see the war the party. moment i realized that those are ventilation shafts that they've just repurposed yeah. into mm. to be amplification chambers is the moment i truly became a <laughs> 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 um i want to go back to something that I find super interesting because I haven't found any uh, exact um, answer out there in any of the interviews and uh, videos I've watched about this film is the whole chroming the mouth thing. What do you guys think that is? As in, like, in the context of this weird religion, or do you think as a practical... Yeah, what do you think they're doing? Uh, well, it's like the whole yeah. worship of shininess, and uh, which represents uh, wealth and, and excess. and shiny and crow. Yeah, exactly. But do you think that the chrome has an effect? Why, well, yeah, on it probably got some high as fuck too. Because it's oh, symbolic. Yeah. It's a bit of both. Because it's yeah. like I, you know you're you're becoming shiny now. You're about to sacrifice yourself yeah. to the cause of Morton Joe. It's it's essentially like adrenochrome, right? But emphasis <laughs> on the chrome because nice because Call back they, to last episode. they and and it's really it's like a uh, uh, like a whippet um, <laughs> or whippet, but instead of like you know being out of it for a little while, you're super into into it yeah. as in your final yeah. moment. And it's like this, it's like this declaration of um of like complete commitment to the cause and the religion. Totally, right? it's and very like, hard to get spray paint out of your teeth. Trust me. That's right. Well, yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, well, it would taste that bad that you know you would only do you want it to when die. you're really, really ready to die because you don't want to have that taste afterwards, do you? Yeah. Um, but what can you, what what in history can you really compare that yeah, to? The I was only thing about that this. comes to my mind is is Blackbeard uh, setting the coils of gunpowder on fire in yeah, his but, beard before he goes. But he into didn't battle. kill himself. Every but that's time. not a religious <laughs> thing. Yeah, and he's not going out to commit, you know, uh, war. I I just see it as sort of. Um, as like uh, any sort of symbolic, uh, like painting war stripes on your face when you're going into battle, mm. or like you know, um, people used to do like this crazy, like that Blackbeard thing. He would light the shit in his beard to inspire fear in his enemies, right? And like in yeah. war, they would people thought he was they would devil. like you know people would like cut their faces and just have like blood in various places on their body to inspire fear. So yeah. I think that it is a like 
it's inspired by that sort of thing. I also think of it in the in the death sense. It's kind of like uh, putting eyes, you know what uh, it putting is? coins on your eyes for the River Man. Oh, cool! <laughs> it's like you a, know what it is. Tribute. Meth was invented. Meth was invented for Japanese kamikaze. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And yeah. also, I guess if you've got this crossover yeah. of religion as well, you know, a lot of religion uh, stuff comes out of drugs being found earlier before mm-hmm. we knew how to do. Uh, before we knew how to describe what drugs were and fasting um, to I, cause hallucinations I, and stuff. I, it's it's a sacrament and a drug, which a lot of, historically, a lot of uh, uh, the first sacraments were drugs. So it does make sense in that I way, also yeah. think that the religious aspect of this and, like, Immortan Joe being this false god is, is kind of funny because, like, it's set... It's a really cool combination of, like, um, Valhalla and, like, Nordic religion uh, set in the Australian outback. But all, there's also mm. the the point of, like, Immortan Joe being this fat, white, blonde-haired, asshole false god who Skin is representing... fucking tyrannical piece of... <laughs> representing <laughs> the um, sort of part of this Norse religion... And which comes from uh, Scandinavia, which is like stereotypically the whitest part of the world, which is you know kind of funny yeah. parallels to uh, to the political environment. But this movie was this movie was twenty fifteen though, so you know they it's not like they were going for anything on purpose. It's this sort of like notion that this family is uh, the the tyrannical leaders, the family is inbred, which yeah, is yeah. also another you know the royals were inbred, yeah. So it's it, it sort of frustrates me. It doesn't really frustrate me. Frustrates frustrate me because I don't. I don't really care. Well, no. I'm, uh, what I'm about to say frustrates me, but it doesn't actually. It like people. I feel watch this movie, and it, this is a completely legitimate experience. And any le- any experience with this film is a legitimate experience because it's art, and and art is just it's it's what it is. Is the eye of the that's a big call, man. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, I feel like a lot of people would watch this movie and and just see it as this insane world that that is just insane like that's that's the yeah like the, they see it as nonsensical that's the whole thing like yeah nonsensical but everything has a logic and that's that's really what makes me love this film more than almost anything other than the fact that it's just pure action in the best way i've seen action in in years it's my favorite action yeah, movie definitely. ever is that it, it all makes yeah. sense and i think for i think what a lot of films have been missing, a lot of big blog, blog, blah, 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 blockbusters, blog, blah, I really can't say that, blockbusters nice. have it. been missing, a lot of action films have been missing is an actual pathos and, and a real universe that they're setting setting these these stories yeah. in. Like you mentioned John, John Wick earlier. I don't like yeah, John I don't, Wick I don't personally oh. because I don't I don't ha- I don't have any emotion when I watch the films. For Mad Max, what are you talking about? Well, yes, but 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 the the the, the good parts about the action are amplified when there's a real tangible story behind it. Yeah, there's yeah. a story for Mad Max, and, and like the puppy dying things a bit. Uh, you know, I'd probably kill someone who killed my dog, but like the, you know, for 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 you're you're saying not for Man Max, you're saying yeah, for, yeah. Um, I'm I'm talking <laughs> I'm talking about um John Wick because I think it's actually a, a horrible choice of parallel here because it's there's like huge world building oh, okay. aspects <laughs> there, like it's set in some sort of weird world where uh, a whole heap of people are hitmen for hire. We see this at the end of I think it's part one or part two maybe yeah. where. Um, you know, he's in the park. Yeah, that's probably just me not caring about <laughs> yeah. it. Have you watched yeah. them all, Joel? More than anything. I've watched one and uh, the first 30 mm. minutes of two. I haven't seen part so, three, to yeah. be fair. 
they might have just really fucked it there. But George Miller says this thing about about film, which I really adore. That when you when you uh, watch theater, you get this pure like emotional acting experience. When you read a book, you're able to describe things in pure detail and have you know these insane stories just run wild and anything that you can imagine you can say but what you cannot do is show action you can't really do it you can describe it but you can't show it and it's a very different thing and the 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 art form of film really lends itself to showing action sequences and and things having like you know like people punching each other for an example is 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 the method of film is the best best method to show that. Um, and th- I feel like this movie really stands to that point that he's saying that the best uh, or that cinema is, is that action is best portrayed through cinema. And this is like, you know, yeah, as I just said, the Certainly. best example of that. I I've agree. Ever seen. Like, yeah. Also, yeah. um, what a cool yeah, thing, I, I uh, just on the, on the ending of this movie, I, I've been writing a lot of short stories this year and the ending of this movie feels like the way I would end a short story. I, I think it's just like very, um, it's very nice. It's very poetic. Open it's, ended it's like and, the, the yeah. we get this, this insane moment. I mentioned it earlier, this insane moment of like emotionality where, where Max is, um, is giving a blood transfusion to Furiosa and he's just sort of like holding yep. her head and he says, Max, my name's Max. And, and then when we, um, the final shot where we have her raising up on this platform and then Max just disappearing into the crowd. It's like, yeah, he like, he helped out, you know, he was there, he, he, uh, got invested and, and now he's done, you know, the story's done. And I think that we, we've been talking about a sequel and I honestly, I would love to see a sequel because I love this movie so much and, and I want like to, I want more world building and I want to just like live in this yeah. world again. I just want to see more of the yeah, world. But yeah. I also think that it is so, it's so functional as a story by itself. Like it, it really, it's not asking for a sequel. It doesn't need a sequel, but yeah, I, I just think it's very I think satisfying. Unless ending. George Miller, unless George Miller is in charge, I do not want a sequel, but if George Miller is in charge, then go for it. But as you said, you don't need a sequel. Yeah, and I think if it's not about the Citadel or Furiosa as well, it's probably another big tick because, like, yeah, that's good. I assume that's all going yeah. fine. And um, to the crowd, to the point of the crowd, the lower socioeconomic people in this film, the the sort of peasantry that um, uh, holds up their 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 different bedpans and baskets yeah, to, get a bit to of water. receive the water in in this in the scene. Um, the the fucking uh, man hours is a bad term. The human hours, the human work that it took to do the makeup yeah, of all of the, all these them. fucking Incredible. people is fucking crazy. And yeah. I imagine each one of those actors in their scene was prompted to fully realize who they were as as a person within this mm. universe. So it's like it's sort of this like collection, like a mycelium almost of, of storytelling where you have this entire group of people that all built this story together within their own heads interacting like it's 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 almost like larping <laughs> <laughs> they're essentially larping out in the in the yeah, in Namibia it's amazing larping in Namibia a savage tale in the hopes yeah. and dreams of the Australian future 
Um, I, I think, uh, Joel, the way you, the way you talk about that makes me really think of, um, the treatment that Star Wars has gotten over the years with, like, whole movies, Mm. whole stories, whole book series being born out of, like, just taking one character who, like, you know, even though the, the sort of, um, aliens and costumes that we get in this movie are not in the same level as Star Wars, there is still, as you say, there's still this level of, like, um, individuality to all of these extras and uh mm. from from mm. like a technical like uh budget point of view the fact that every single one of these extras extras is so heavily made up and all that shit means that those extras got paid a is lot fucking individual more. character they've got paid a lot yeah. more money because extras get paid a fuck ton more if they have to dress up and shit like that which is good because we love mm-hmm. our extras and we like it when they get paid because they're treated very badly otherwise um yeah. But yeah, like each of, each of these, you know, thousands of people in the crowd sort of having their own like weird shit going on. Like, okay, the, we get this one shot when Furiosa returns in the war rig where, um, or they return in, in Joe, in the Giga horse, I think, um, where one of the, one of these dudes like, uh, sort of crawls out from under like a straw hat thing and he has no legs and he sort of like drags himself along the floor and immediately you're like, oh shit, how do you, how do you lose his legs? Like, what's the story behind there? Was there like a yeah. war or, you know, did he, did he lose them from some disease or like what the fuck is going on? So yeah, it, it has that cool, um, it, it seems to have that, that level of like attention to detail and world building of Star Wars, but I also don't really give a shit if we don't get the story of how that guy lost his legs like we have with Star Wars so much because I think this movie works so brilliantly just as its own thing. Just, you know, you it's done and you leave it there, you know? Yeah, it, it, it it's the only example I can think of of this scale and this uh, ginormous of a piece of art, this film, that uses this technique technique of collective consciousness storytelling where every individual working on this piece has a part to play not only in their actual legitimate part to play if they're an extra they're playing a part they have a part to play building this universe building this idea and it's just what a great concept what a great thing to work on what a great way of going about something like this because because it it really like it's inclusivity. It's it's like they're all moving as this one being in a sense, um, creating this film. They're all connected through these ideas. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah this is, uh, and that's why is... everyone should do acid. <laughs> this is one of <laughs> <I> my. <laughs> this is definitely my favorite action movie of all time. Uh, this is probably. In my top five, I'm not gonna name my top five because that's fucking dumb. But like, it's yeah, having definitely a top five is dumb anyway. De- yeah, it's definitely one of my most like the most enjoyable cinematic experiences I've ever had. Just like so much fucking fun, bro. I would I would spend everything. It's not much money, but I would spend all the money in my bank account to have a theater open right now and us all of us friends go and watch this film in full imax (laughs) it's just yeah i just want to see this at a fucking theater again yeah yeah at a cinema yeah oh man i'm hungry (laughs) hungry for more films (laughs) i i've barely gotten to literally any of the points that (laughs) that it really shows how densely this 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 movie this densely how dense this movie is like yeah. it's just 
it's on another level in a yeah. literal sense. Like, there's nothing I can compare it to other than maybe Star Wars, but Star Wars has been expanded over time, whereas Star this War. was expanded within the own creation of itself. Crazy, man. Big call. Crazy. But fair call. Uh, all right. Do we have any closing thoughts? Any big uh, conclusions? Any No, big I think theories, the acid ramble was definitely it. That was, yeah. that was good. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at uh, Cinemaker Podcasts. Uh, we do fun little, uh, you know, we do some shit on there. What, are we not actually on Instagram? Did you delete our Instagram account, Joel? No, I just I just said, mm, and, but my voice cracked and it sounded like, mm. <laughs> and I was just responding. I don't know. Cinemaker. Um. And, uh, Tom, we thank you very much for joining us for this in the last couple yeah. of episodes. It's that's, always a pleasure to have you on. That's right, man. Um, if you see Tom fun. in the streets, give him money. Yeah, yeah please. Yeah, give him money. He loves <laughs> money, dude. Uh, that's his favourite present. Or you can just follow me on Instagram at Tom Fuckingham. Yeah. I don't, uh-huh. I don't oh, post that very often, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you've got some good stuff in the works, so, uh, check yes, this boy true. out. He's, uh... Cynical ramblings burgeoning. coming your way. That's right. <laughs> um... Yeah. And uh, I have no clue what we're doing next episode. Who fucking knows? Nothing matters. Well, it's my it's my turn to choose. Oh, it's your fucking turn, gonna... is it? <clears throat> yeah, and I think we're gonna do um... Star I think Wars. We're gonna do Amelie. What? What? <laughs> okay, we're doing a French film. <laughs> oh. Oh, did you say Amelie? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. 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 I think cool, so. Cool, I think cool, maybe cool, not. Cool. Maybe not. Alright, maybe yeah, with a, glad a it's on record now that you're doing that French film. <laughs> Definitely doing we'll that. We'll have to find out. We'll find out next week. <laughs> Alright. We're doing a high finger. class cinema. Yeah. Yep, that's anyway. right. Well, I love uh, you guys. Right. I love you. Yeah. Love you. Uh, cool. We're going to end record there. Yay. <laughs>